You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to another episode of Dogman Radio. I'm Scott Eklund, and today I am joined by a very special guest, Brandon Huffman, uh, 247's Director of Scouting. And uh, Brandon, welcome or, or, welcome. or national national recruiting editor too. Oh, national recruiting editor. Is it both? Don't, don't you put don't you put that evil on me? I'm not in charge of scouting. That's Andrew oh. Ivan. All complaints oh, okay. about rankings directed to him or Greg Biggins. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Sorry about that. Uh, and national recruiting editor. That will we'll call him that. What is his actual title is? Brandon, thanks for joining us. I know you're a little under the weather, um, but uh, kind of tell everybody how things are going right now. You know, it's a, it's a busy time, Scott. As you know, being at a school that had a coaching search of its own, you know, you, you really only had to cover one recruit, one recruiting class, maybe two if you count the, the Arizona class that uh, was prolific for Washington. But, you know, w- with us, we've been, I feel like we've been covering coaching changes for three months. And every time it looks like there's going to be a stop, then a few more coaches decide to leave. And, you know, even today, there's another coach that left the head coaching job. So between the coaching search, coaching carousel, the transfer portal, recruiting, it was a pretty minor signing day last Wednesday, but then you have all these other things happening. There is no off season. I'm very excited for August when things slow down. Uh, Yeah. For people like you, uh, I mean, this is your busy time of year because this is when Mm -hmm. you get a chance to go out and see all of the underclassmen that haven't really had a chance to even show what they can do on the football field per se yet. Um, you get a chance to go out to seven on sevens, you go to camps and all that different stuff. Basically, you told me right before we hit the record button that uh, you've been on the road for the better part of the last two and a half months every weekend except for one month or uh, one weekend. Right. Yeah. And that weekend, I still had events on Saturday and Sunday. So, it, you know, it, it's great. It's a, it's a fun job. I'm not complaining about the job. The toll of traveling does hit me. I think this is the third time I've been sick since mid-December, but you know what? It is, it's what I do. I get to kind of go into cruise control a little bit during the season and kind of just enjoy college football, save a couple trips here and there when I'm getting on the road. But hey, this is the, this is a busy time of year. This is where, you know, it's essentially meet the new class, meet the new classes. And in the ever-changing calendar of college football and recruiting, you know, it, it, it ramps up. I mean, I remember, Scott, I think you went to Vegas a couple of times for, for the pylon yep. seven on tournaments back in the day. I mean, that didn't usually start until conference basketball tournament weekend, sometimes the NCAA tournament weekend. And that was kind of like the first, uh, you know, the unofficial yeah. beginning of the offseason. Now, you know, I, when I was in Hawaii for the Polynesian Bowl, I think I went to three camps and two seven on seven tournaments that were completely separate from the Polynesian Bowl for 25, 26s, and 27s. So, the offseason really doesn't exist in football anymore. Yeah. Um, well, Brandon, you know, I you're you're a little under the weather. We're going to we're going to get to some stuff that Husky fans definitely want to hear about. But we also want to let you get some rest before you head back out on the road uh, this weekend as well. So let's let's just jump right into it. You know, one of the things when I talked to Greg Biggins earlier um, back in uh, January, we kind of. Everything was kind of new. Washington had a new coaching staff. Nobody really knew a lot about Jed Fish and and the staff that he was compiling and and everything like that. But now that we've got some some clarity on on where things are going, there's just one uh, 
on-field coaching position left to fill for Jed Fish. Kind of talk to the Husky fans from your perspective. we got Greg's perspective. We want your perspective as well about <coughs> the UW coaching staff, how they are as recruiters, but also just them as talent developers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you <coughs> – excuse me, everybody. Sorry, I, I'm sick. Um, I think you look at across the board – the success that a lot of these assistant coaches had when they were at Arizona is probably what people kind of look at. But if you predate a lot of these coaches, their times at Arizona and look at previous stops, you know, whether that was Kevin Cummings at San Jose State, whether that was Jimmy Doherty when he was at UCLA, whether that was Jordan Papow's first time at Washington, Jason Kafusi when he was at UCLA. You, you look at there's a lot of assistants that they've had recruiting success at more than just Arizona. And I, I think what they did at Arizona was pretty impressive. When you think about the program, the level it had reached or essentially it hit rock bottom under Kevin Sumlin. And to go from year one where they won one game against a you know COVID-ridden Cal team and lost at home to Northern Arizona to two years later when you know they're three or four plays away from potentially being a 12-1 and team. I think, you know, it's impressive to see the buy-in that they got. And it was a pretty young roster. Uh, a large number of those guys committed to Arizona fresh off a one-win season. Or in, in a lot of cases, they committed essentially sight unseen with what Jetfish could do as a head coach. So I think, you know, that's where having a pretty experienced staff, a lot of times when you have a first-time head coach, he's going to bring a – a lot of buddies or guys that he's been around or guys he's familiar with that maybe don't have a expansive resume, but you know, fish was able to get guys that had been in the NFL. So from a recruiting standpoint, that doesn't necessarily help, but he got a nice mix of coaches that had success recruiting wise at previous stops and um, leads to good evaluations, good ability to develop. And it turns into a 10 win season. And, and Brandon, one thing – so Jed Fish dipped into the NFL ranks for his defensive coordinator and Steve Belichick. He also got Vinny Sancieri as his safeties coach, I'm assuming. Um, you know, the, he's definitely going to be in the secondary at some, in some capacity one way or the other. So um, those guys, I, they're younger um, – and judging by what I've been able to see on, on the Internet, they look like they could be pretty good recruiters. We just don't know very much. But talk about the uh, recruiting staff that Washington has assembled. Courtney Morgan, all those guys that they had under uh, Kalen DeBoer were, were widely considered pretty good recruiters and, and did a really good job while they were here. But uh, Joshua Murrah. Matt Doherty, he's the GM of Washington, uh, of the Washington staff, and and he's basically one of the head recruiters. He kind of organizes everything. Joshua Mura, um, Armando Hawkins, those two are kind of the lead recruiters out on the road. Can you just talk about those guys and what they're able to do? Yeah, I mean, what really helps, obviously, with Joshua Murray is he's had some time in the Northwest when he was at Washington State under Nick Rolovich. Uh, obviously, with, with Doherty, having been at Arizona, he kind of understands what – Jed Fish is looking for, what kind of players, what kind of scheme fits that they're looking for. And then Armand Hawkins has been at a number of stops. He's been at USC where he played, or I'm sorry, where his brother played, but where he was on staff with Clay Helton. He's been at Colorado. He's been at Arizona and, and now he's at Washington. So he's kind of covered a number of different regions and, and corners uh, on the West Coast. And then obviously his dad runs Ground Zero, seven on seven. 
he's also his brother Chris is a part of the Trillion Boys, a, a prominent traveling seven on seven team with a lot of national ties. So you get three guys that that have connections in a vast geographic region, but then also have three kind of different you know levels of ability in terms of what they do. Hawkins is is big on relationships. He's connected you know, with a number of different high school coaches, seven on seven teams, um, and in different regions. With Omura, he's been a little bit more uh, kind of a, the quiet guy who gets on the road, though. He's very connected in the islands, uh, being from Hawaii. And then you have Doherty, who's kind of managed it all and really helped build what Arizona was building uh, under Fish. And so you, you get three different styles, and that means you're going to get a wider array of offers going out. You're going to get a wider uh, recruiting board. And, you know, you look back to where Washington was recruiting under Chris Peterson. I mean, he obviously did a phenomenal job as a recruiter, and they did a phenomenal job of developing uh, players when they got there, but more importantly, did a really good job of evaluating early on and identifying guys that were going to be natural fits, but they were a little bit more exclusive in the offers and in the, the, the players that they recruited, obviously the whole OKG uh, approach limited their pool a little bit. And then under Jimmy Lake, nobody knows what the hell he was doing recruiting wise. I mean, I said that during his recruitment there, you know, there were players that said with, with him, you never felt like you were a priority. You felt like he made you feel that, you know, they were doing you a favor by recruiting you. And then when Kalen DeBoer comes in, you know, they do, a, they have a different approach too. Um, obviously California became more of a, target for them, but there was a little bit more expansion in, in terms of geographically where they were hitting. Well, now with Fish, yeah, there's a, still a national approach, but it's going to be really heavily focused in the West region. And obviously the dip into uh, the other parts of the country is going to help coming off a, a national championship berth and then move into the Big Ten, but I still think their bread and butter is going to be regionally. And I don't necessarily think it's just going to be all local kids. I think there's going to be a bigger emphasis placed on local kids than maybe the previous staff did, but I still think they're going to use those connections and tie into Southern California, into Hawaii, into you know the Southwest region, and try to make the you know the the roster much more wider from a geographical standpoint. And I thought Lincoln Riley had a pretty interesting telltale sign or a statement a couple months ago um, where you know he was getting a little pushback for not having so many California guys. And he essentially said, you know, with the way college football is changing, you can't just recruit your backyard. Even if you have a large amount of talent in your backyard, you've got to be able to recruit nationally. You've got to expand your regionalization of recruiting something to that degree. And I think you look at, you know, what, what Georgia has done. I mean, they have gone into Georgia and done well, obviously, but they've gone into Florida, they've gone into Texas, they've gone to the West Coast, they've gone into Northern California and Southern California. You look at Alabama, I mean, when they were winning national championships, you know, they had players from, uh, you know, Hawaii, players from California, players from all over the country. And I think if you look, you know, it's not just the local kids winning and you're winning with a national approach. So I think with, with Fish, they're going to recruit nationally, but they're going to really take on the entire West region as their recruiting grounds. Well, Brandon, that was very expansive. Thank you so much. And and you mentioned a college coaching change um, that you, I'm assuming you're referring to Georgia State head coach Sean Elliott, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Mo moving on to South Carolina, he's going to be the tight ends coach. Uh, so that opens up that roster. I don't know 
you know, if there's anybody worth picking for Washington, but obviously those guys are going to be able to go into the the portal here over the next uh, 30 days. And so that'll be interesting to keep track of as well. But um, Brandon, you know, there was a big college change um, that happened when Chip Kelly from his head coaching gig at UCLA decided to go and be the OC or maybe was uh, nudged that, that way by the, UCLA upper campus who knows uh, exactly what went on behind the scenes maybe you do I don't know but um, you know UCLA goes out and hires you know a legendary player from UCLA and you know someone who's got some coaching experience obviously in Deshaun Foster but um, you know what just give a give us your initial thoughts um, I saw what you posted on the UCLA board after uh, Chip Kelly left and everything like that. But kind of just talk Mm -hmm. about Deshaun Foster and what you think of that hire and how it impacts things down the road. Yeah, it was definitely a choice by UCLA. Uh, Obviously, I thought, you know, just from a a preparation standpoint, from a, you know, who their real candidates were. I mean, obviously, we heard 300 names last weekend. You know, Twitter was – an absolute treat over the weekend with, you know, all the names that, that were being mentioned. Um, I thought if you looked at it from just, you know, what is UCLA capable of doing and what is the situation and given the timing and the circumstances that, you know, I thought immediately PJ Flex name. I mean, it's the annual year. We all know that this is when PJ Flex floats his name. I mean, it's like, it doesn't matter if there's a job, PJ Flex name is somehow going to be mentioned with it. I thought that would have been an absolutely disastrous hire, even given the fact he's had experience, because it's always felt like PJ Flex looking out for PJ Flex. And I get that. That's what college coaches do. When you get paid a lot of money, you look out for yourself and the generational wealth you provide for your family. But it would have been a terrible fit. Um, I thought, you know, given what UCLA has needed and how Chip completely torpedoed that program of people caring and the apathy he showed towards the fans and the alumni and the former players, you needed to get somebody that understood UCLA. And I thought Tony White was actually probably the better and more prepared candidate, uh, especially with Deshaun's departure to the NFL. It almost seemed like he was ready to be done with college. And then he comes back and you could see the passion, the emotion in his voice and in his reaction to the job uh, at the press conference when the players announced it. But I think Tony White has been a coordinator at three different schools, three different power five schools. He's done a great job. He too played at UCLA. Uh, but he's also been away from UCLA long enough to understand that he's not a UCLA guy. He's seen the culture at Nebraska. He's been at Arizona State. He's been at San Diego State when they had their best run of success ever. Um, and then he was at uh, Syracuse as well. So he just got another part of the country. I, I thought he made the most logical sense. But I get it with Deshaun. You know, he's going to embrace UCLA. He's going to embrace the players and the alums. And I think it was evident in how many former players showed up at his press conference the other day. But – Heading into the Big Ten with no recruiting momentum, with the lowest rated class in the history of the Internet, signed with a very small class and without the latitude lawsuits and the Zach Charbonnet type portal players, instead getting portal players from Johns Hopkins and the service academies and the Ivy League. It's going to be a very difficult job for a first time head coach, no matter what, but a guy who's never even been a coordinator. So it's definitely a, a bold hire. It's definitely a bold strategy. But, you know, I don't know that UCLA had the leverage or had the ability to go get a much more qualified coach in the middle of February. Well, yeah. And I, you referenced it. Basically, the pickings were really slim at that point. Mm-hmm. Do you see this as a possibility? I, I haven't seen the 
numbers or the buyout numbers or anything like that for uh, Deshaun Foster. But do you see this as a possibility where this is almost a interim position where he proves himself for the year? And if it just doesn't look like it's going in the right direction, they they maybe decide to make a change when it's more viable for them to go out and find a more experienced, more um, more name recognized uh, head coach and maybe keep Foster on as like a coordinator? I think that's a great question because I, I would think that the signs may point to that. Now, when we actually see the numbers and what the buyout is, that'll give a better yeah. indication of this is a short term or a long term thing. The fact that, you know, the, the memorandum of understanding was five years, you know, makes you think that this is probably a longer term play. But I also look at what Mississippi State did when they promoted Zach Arnett. Uh, last December after the tragic passing of, of Mike Leach, and they essentially covered themselves by saying, hey, you know, from a, you know, just a logistical standpoint, a timing standpoint, a situational, circumstantial standpoint, we need to promote you to the head coach. This program needs stability with the out of the blue, you know, passing uh, of Mike Leach. And then he didn't even last the whole season. Now, there's a little bit of a difference. He wasn't a Mississippi State guy. He had been there for a year or two as a coordinator, actually been there three years, I think, as a coordinator. But he wasn't an alum, wasn't a former player like Deshaun Foster's. But that all being said, UCLA's chancellor is retiring at the end of the school year. The athletic director has not been extended. So there could be a new chancellor that comes in who wants to make his own or her own hire at athletic director, and then that athletic director is going to come in, and you, you saw it. I get it; it's different, you know, and it's funny because it's Ohio State, but Ohio State fired their basketball coach on Wednesday, and I think he has twelve to fourteen million dollars left on his buyout. But they just hired a new athletic director, Ross Bjork, and you know, Ryan Day is not going anywhere just yet. Now, talk to me in a year if he doesn't win an national championship yeah. this year, he might be but, or beat Michigan, you know, <laughs> or, or beat Michigan, yeah. yeah. So, you know, a new AD a lot of times wants to make his own hire. And Martin Jarman inherited Chip Kelly and he inherited Mick Cronin. And obviously they've had success with Mick Cronin. Uh, but, you know, Chip Kelly was not Jarman's guy. And he, he kept riding with him. So now a new chancellor gets his own or her own guy at, at, or gal at athletic director. And then that person wants to make their own hire. So maybe it is a short term thing. Maybe it was Deshaun going back to his alma mater to just kind of stabilize things for a bit. And then as the money starts coming in from the Big Ten, then maybe there's a little bit more money to play with. And there's at least fan buy in again uh, after Chip completely imploded that, that maybe he's not the guy, but he's the guy before the guy. And then he's lauded and praised for, you know, understanding he put his alma mater first. um, And, you know, we we can see that happen. I, I will say this. Given now, granted, there were different circumstances, but. Let's just look at, at the last three years, Scott. Nick Rolovich lasted a year and what, 10 months at Washington State. Obviously, strange was, circumstances yeah. that led to the mm-hmm. trip. Jimmy Lake lasted one year and 10 months at Washington. Zach Garnett didn't last a year. All right. We've seen more and more of the days of, oh, you need to give him at least three to five years, but at least five years to build a program with the ability to rehabilitate your roster that much quicker now because of the NCAA transfer portal yeah. and with NIL allowing for that to happen, the days of waiting two or three years to make a change, those days are done, no matter how broke a school may be. Now, it certainly helps if you're in one of the new Power Four conferences that's going to get the media rights deals money, but I think we're seeing a quicker ripping up off the band-aid than we ever had before 
Well, hey, Brandon, we've we've kind of exhausted the coaching talk, and I know everybody kind of tunes into you and really me uh, for recruiting talk. So uh, and I think we're going to get to that here after the break. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, Brandon and I are going to go through several 2025 recruits that uh, people need to know about. And uh, maybe a little bit more um, at the very end. Um, We're going to wrap up this first segment and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Thanks for sticking around, everyone, uh, for Dogman Radio. I've got 247 National Recruiting Editor Brandon Huffman with me. And uh, Brandon and I did the coaching talk in the first segment, but second segment is going to be all recruiting, and it's going to be basically all 2025 recruits. Um, Brandon, I want to start with in-state guys. That's where everybody's mind goes right away, although we did kind of talk about uh, what Lincoln Riley said, and I think that's the attack a lot of uh, coaches are taking, not just out here on the West Coast, but uh, nationally. You, you got to lock down your state for the best guys, but it doesn't always mean you're going to take seven, eight, nine guys from within the, your state borders. You know, you got to go national, and Washington's definitely going to do that. But there's some local guys that Washington has their eyes on. Now, one thing I want people to know. And I updated this earlier uh, this this month, maybe it was last late last week. I basically talked about the Washington in-state recruiting class, and there's a number of guys who had offers from the old staff uh, under Kalen DeBoer, and the, a lot of those guys had offers from Arizona when the current staff was at Arizona. So you would think that they would have re-offered a lot of these guys. Now, that might have happened, but only one has announced a re-offer from the University of Washington, and that is the top player in the state, Zadrius Rainey Saleh, um, out of Bethel High School. He's a linebacker, but you kind of think he's going to be more of an edge. Can you kind of talk about his situation? He committed to Washington, and then four days later had to de- – well, didn't have to, but he decommitted after Kalen DeBoer decided to go to Alabama – and he's talked about how he's got a good relationship with the Husky coaching staff. Can you just kind of talk about where Washington stands and where things stand with him real quick? Yeah, so his beginning of January is actually pretty fascinating. He was set to announce at the All-American Bowl in, what would that have been, June, January 6th, I think it was. Yep. Um, and all signs were pointing to Florida State. And about two weeks before the All-American Bowl, he decided that he wasn't going to commit and wasn't ready to make a commitment and announcement and was going to push it back and take some bits in the spring. Well, it was essentially that Saturday as I'm getting ready to do the broadcast for the all American bowl that I got a text from Zay that he was ready to announce his decision, but he was going to do it on Monday. Obviously that Monday Washington was playing in the national championship game. I don't think anybody had it on the radar that Kalen DeBoer would no longer be the coach four days later. So he announced hours before the national championship game. And then it was what, maybe an hour or two. I just remember I was on my flight to the Polynesian bowl when the DeBoer news broke. And before I landed in Oahu, Zay had already decommitted. 
Um, you know, since then, he's been offered by Alabama. Um, with, with him, I mean, obviously, Washington's always going to have the local effect. That's always going to be something that's going to help them. But, you know, all signs are pointed to him not even staying in the state the first time around. And then he ultimately chose Washington. So this is going to be a battle with a lot of schools. And as national schools are getting involved and uh, re-involved, I think you're going to see Washington's going to have to stay in this one all the way to the end. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to commit if he does commit to Washington or anywhere. I don't think it's going to happen quicker. I think it's going to be a little bit more drawn out process so he can actually take these visits that he's anticipating taking. Uh, but he's a guy that if you're Washington, you stay recruiting all the way until the end because he's a talent. He didn't turn 16 until the end of November after his junior year had played. Yeah. In a day and age where there's a lot of kids. I mean, there's kids on the Washington roster and other Pac-12 rosters that played their senior years at 18, 19 years old, you know, he's still young. There's a lot of upside there. And that's why I think he ends up ultimately growing into an edge. Uh, so I, I do think that, you know, Washington's going to stay on him. He's a talent. You absolutely stay on him. But I do think he is a national recruit and they're going to have their work cut out for him. But he's the talent that that's worth staying on. And this is where, you know, you, you utilize a, a Jason Kapusi and the connection that those two have made, you know, both being Polynesian, that certainly helps. And then, you know, I don't know how much recruiting uh, chops that, you know, Belichick is going to get. That's the one thing when you bring a coach from the NFL who hasn't had a lot of experience in recruiting, recruiting can a lot of times be different. A lot of times those guys are being brought in just for their X's and O's acumen. And you're not going to really turn them loose from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, but I think that that's where Jason Kapusi is really going to make an emphasis. I think Jordan Powell is also going to have a, a, a impact there, even though that's not the same positional group. He's going to recruit that area as well. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of things working in Washington's favor, but they're going to have to be in this one for the long haul because I don't think it's going to end early. And he's he's currently listed at 6'2", 220, but uh, you said he, you think he grows into an edge. I mean, you, you're thinking like 6'3", 6'4", by the time he graduates. Yeah, probably gets okay. to 245, 250-ish, and more of a okay. stand-up edge. And, you know, again, I mean, this is a guy who literally just turned 16 two, three months ago. So mm-hmm. there's still some growing left to do yet. Yep. And I know that he's a big fan of the University of Washington in general. Um, and and so that definitely helps Washington and, and everything like that. One thing that uh, Greg said was that Jed Fish was very involved with the top guys from the get go. He wasn't just a closer. He's a guy. And I know that he's made contact with uh, Reina Saleh as well. So, mm-hmm. um, in fact, I think when I talked to a number of recruits at the begin or at the end of January from the in-state at, at some events, he was the only one that I know had said specifically that had a UW offer that said that, you know, he's already been reaffirmed the offer from the Washington staff, like you mentioned earlier, and they had come by his school almost immediately. I think that was the first in-state target they went to go see uh, when the staff kind of got their bearings straight. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about is um, Dimitri Manning, an offensive lineman out of Bellevue, 6'7", 340 pounds. You and I were both at a game together uh, when they uh, – I can't remember who they were playing. Was it Lake Stevens they were playing? I think it was Lake Stevens they were playing. I can't remember exactly mm-hmm. off the top of my head. But uh, he just – he looked slow. He didn't look like he was the most athletic guy in the world and stuff like that. I know that he's uh, trimmed down a little bit, and he did win the uh, – was it offensive line MVP honors mm-hmm. at the All-American uh, Combine. So – He's obviously, you know, just because we saw him in September doesn't mean he's the same guy 
five months later. So obviously he there's there's improvement there. He has a host of offers. He hasn't said that Washington has reoffered him at this point, but he was over at their junior day. Just talk a little bit about Dimitri Manning. Yeah, I will say that there's probably not been a player I've been more impressed with how they have reshaped their body in the 2025 class than Dimitri Manning. I mean, compared to where he was as a freshman to where he is now, I mean, he's got an incredible wingspan. I think it's an 83-inch wingspan, but he has continued to, to reshape his body, looked fantastic down in San Antonio. I saw him at alignment event at five on five three weeks ago up at East Lake High School in Sammamish. And he, you know, aside from slipping on the first rep on a very wet surface, you know, I thought he really held his own. And he's got that ability to play either side because they do the strong side, weak side offensive line thing at Bellevue. Um, I think he ends up being an interior lineman in college. Uh, the one thing that's interesting about Dimitri, I mean, he's going to be the guy, one of those first off the bus guys, because he's a massive individual, but he didn't hold an Arizona offer. So, you know, there's a lot of the 2025 players that had an offer from Arizona when Brendan Carroll and Jim mm-hmm. Fish were there previously. He did not. So I think there's going to be a get to know you uh, stage there with. <laughs> uh, hold on a second. I got a cough. <clears throat> with Dimitri. Uh, so he'll certainly be on their radar, but I think as he continues to show he's reshaping his body, I think the, the chances of him being a pretty prominent target for them increases. He he was very vocal about uh, you know after Jed Fish was hired he even, uh, he went out on social media and on Twitter and basically said um, really thinking about sticking close to home you know so mm-hmm. um, and and the weird thing is it is that really he was from out of state he came to to Bellevue from out of state in the twenty twenty two season he was, he was at he was at Kent Meridian he oh, started okay. his high school career okay. yeah. DeMond okay. Lewis is who came from out of state. Oh, that's right. Okay. And he's a 2026 guy. 2026, so, yeah. And he just got offered by Washington. But we, we'll get to him in another, in another podcast, though. I really want to get through some of these other guys. Uh, Noah Flores, tight end out of Graham Kapowson. I know Washington has been down to see him. Um, they they Like you said, they they went down and visited uh, Rainy Soleil. And so for, it, you know, Graham Kapowson's right down the road from from that from that school too so uh noah flores tight end out of graham kapowson he can play either either way that you want he's a traditional tight end in the fact that he'll play on the end of the line but he can also split out and play outside talk about where things are with him he's also a guy who had an offer from the old staff had an offer i'm pretty sure he had an offer from arizona but they actually made his top he made, they made his top five, which he announced in December. Arizona was on that top five. Yeah. And obviously, he's got a great relationship with Jordan Papau going back to that time at Arizona. Um, the thing with Noah to keep in mind is it is an incredible tight end class out West in yeah. 2025. There's one consistent positional group that the West really has over other regions. I would say it is tight end. And I think you, you look back at you know the last few years and you look back at – the, I mean, shoot, the state of Oregon had four power five tight ends in 2024 alone, and Oregon isn't necessarily cranking out a ton of talent every year. Yeah. So that, that kind of lends to, you know, the Northwest and Northern California especially have really good tight ends. I, I say that to say that, you know, with the uh, arrival of Jordan Papau and given his history at the tight end position, you know, obviously some of his most prominent tight ends have been local guys with the Kate Otten or with the Hunter Bryant. But, you know, they're going to attract a lot more than just in-state tight ends. And so Baron Naoni, who was committed to Oregon State, who, you know, 
Washington had him higher on their board uh, with the previous staff and they had Noah Flores, the number one player in the state of Oregon. He actually committed to Oregon State uh, shortly after he went to the Washington-Oregon game. His dad played at Oregon State, but Brian Wozniak, who had been recruiting for a while, left to go to Michigan State, so he opened things up. Well, Jordan Powell was one of the first coaches to offer Barron when he was at Arizona, and they're going to be in, it, in the mix for Barron Naoni all the way to the end. Caleb Edwards, they were already on the short list for Caleb Edwards uh, before Nick Sheridan left. And I think that that's not going to change. Obviously, you, you have Kellen Ford and the connection that he has to Washington with his mom being a former Husky soccer player. Uh, you know, and Arizona had been recruiting Kellen Ford too. Powell had been recruiting him too. So, you know, Noah Flores will, is probably going to be their top in-state target at tight end, but they're also heavily in the mix for two to three other really, really good tight ends that are, you know, probably higher on the board and rated higher than Noah. So, you know, we'll, we'll see if those guys start to eliminate themselves uh, from, you know, contention with Washington. But I don't think there's going to be a push to get Noah to commit just yet because they're doing well with a number of West Coast tight ends. Another Pierce County kid, uh, Darian Clemens out of Spanaway Lake. Would you consider him the top cover guy in the state, at least from a 2025 standpoint? I would. I would. Okay. And the thing with Clemens, I mean, he was set to commit to Washington. Yeah. And I think it was going to happen. I mean, it was I put in a crystal ball and it looked like it was imminent. And then the staff changed. And obviously there was not the retention of the, the defensive backs coach. And so now, you know, he had never been offered by Arizona. And it was interesting because I remember him telling me last summer, Arizona was a school he was definitely looking to get an offer from. And it hadn't come. So that, you know, the, the number of those coaches are now at University of Washington. So. I would say that he's probably a guy who's got the speed and the athleticism to definitely be a a target, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they, you know, want to get to know him a little bit more before they really push to get a commitment from him. And a guy from your area, um, actually your son goes to school with him, Jonathan Epperson mm-hmm. at, at Auburn Riverside. I went and saw him play against uh, Lincoln out of Tacoma, and uh, he just – he didn't fly. You can see the athleticism and everything like that. He just didn't flash when he played, but I guess he got he got much better as the season went along. Washington is looking at him as a linebacker, but you have him as an athlete, so he could play safety. He could play running back. There's a lot of different positions he could play. Yeah, and I think he ends up being a linebacker because I do think he grows into that. I'm not quite sure he's got the long speed to be a safety, but he is a physical player. He can play sideline to sideline. He was set to make his announcement in mid-January. He had named a Final Four of Utah, Arizona, Oregon, and Washington. Uh, but at that time, I don't think that Oregon or Washington would have taken a commitment from him. And then shortly after, you know, or shortly before he decided to push back his announcement, Kalen DeBoer left, Jet Fish came, Arizona was in that Final Four. Uh, since then, you know, Penn State has uh, the coach that had offered him uh, is now at Boise State. So Boise State's gotten involved a little bit more there with Stacey Collins. Um, I don't anticipate he'll be making a decision anytime soon. I, I know that the Arizona coaches liked him when they were there and they were in his final four and would have absolutely taken him. But again, they, they have a different pool to choose from now. So Epperson will be a guy that this spring is going to be really important for him just to show that the start of the season, and admittedly, he did get better as the season went on. He was playing, I, I want to say, with like a hip pointer in the yeah. early part of the season, so never looked fully right. But I did see him three weeks ago on the 7-on-7 circuit. He looked much more refreshed and explosive. 
That's good to hear because I, I'd only heard good things about him, but uh, just didn't see it in the one game that I saw. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him this this spring and summer and then maybe at, at the start of the season as well. So last one from the in-state guys. Last name is a is is a name that Husky fans are very familiar with. Uh, he's the son of Warren Moon, Riken Moon. He's a two-way player at Bellevue. I really like him as a safety, but I, where do mm-hmm. you like him and, and – have you, have you heard anything about Washington's interest in him? Yeah, you know, if you saw the article I wrote earlier this week, <coughs> I mentioned that, you know, his first offer actually came from Arizona and from Scotty Graham yep. as a running back. Um, I think that his best position long-term is safety. I was at the game against Arlington where he had three interceptions, and I think that was the quarterfinals uh, when Bellevue went on the road and, and what was considered an upset at the time, beat an undefeated Arlington team, and then ultimately won the state championship. I, I you know, West Coast kids love offense, Scott. That's been the beginning since the test of time. And, I mean, I, I look at so many of these bodies, and I'm like, dude, go play defense. And you go to a camp, and you see 70 receivers and 20 DBs. I think that his skill set is geared better towards the defensive side of the ball. But I understand, you know, when you grow up with a quarterback as a dad and, you know, a quarterback who's pretty damn accomplished himself, you're probably watching a lot of offensive film. And, you know, it's funny because you look at some of the – and in no way am I comparing him to, to Miles Jack and Buda Baker, but you look at some of the great players at Bellevue that were great defensive players but also played running back, they all kind of made their money in college and the NFL on the defensive side of the ball. And the thing with Riken is he's not adamant he's a running back. He's not at all saying, I'm only going to play running back. It's just if he had to choose between the two, running back would be his preference. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think defense is ultimately where he's at. I think Washington may know that, hey, this is a legacy. This is a local kid. You know, he'll be there in the end. Let's kind of see where we're at with a lot of these national guys. Let's see Riken get a little bit healthier. And I thought he looked really healthy. I didn't even know he had an injury because he didn't really play like he was injured in the games that I saw him play. But uh, I think, you know, I do eventually think that there's going to be a long because here's the thing. Nobody's signing 25. And no matter how many portal guys you bring in, you're always going to have space. And especially with no counter limits anymore, you could bring in a local kid from a state championship who's a legacy and it no longer hurts you. You know, whereas in in years past, there was a numbers crunch. Maybe you were a little bit more cautious in your, your numbers, but I think that he is a talent that ultimately will play himself into a Washington offer. It just may not be right away. His football IQ is off the charts. I mean, he's a a sharp kid. You you can tell that, you know, like most players at Bellevue, they're very high football IQ. They they're really understanding schematic. I mean, I guess when you're playing against such a complicated offense every day in practice and you kind of know you're playing on that offense, too. We see opposing teams really struggle to stop Bellevue, but sometimes their best defense they go up against is their own defense in practice because they Mm -hmm. kind of know what's coming. So I think there's something to that. All right, well, let's move off of the 2025 class uh, in state and let's move to some 2025 guys that you've just done recent uh, updates with. Uh, Chris Lawson, a wide receiver out of, is it Archbishop Reardon? Yep. Okay, Archbishop Reardon. Uh, defense or uh, wide receiver um, said Washington is definitely in the mix for him. Um, sounds like uh, he really likes uh, Kevin Cummings um, and 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 everything like that. But um, he's going to be a big time guy. He's got offers from everywhere. Uh, where does where do you feel Washington sits in this? Do they do they have a realistic shot of reeling him in? 
Absolutely. I think there's probably four or five schools right there in the mix for Chris Lawson. He's got national offers, but I think he's going to be a West Coast guy. In fact, I'm going to say right now that I think his top four schools are all the Pac-12 schools going to the Big Ten. Uh, USC <laughs> signed his teammate, Kololo Tonga, uh, in the 2024 class. Um, Junior Adams recruited Troy Franklin to Washington, didn't land him, but then coached in the last two years. At Oregon, Chris plays for the same high school coach, Adir Rabapati, who was Troy Franklin's coach in high school. Washington, Kevin Cummings has been, I think Arizona was one of his first Pac-12 offers, and Kevin Cummings was one of the first uh, Power 5 coaches that offered Chris. And then UCLA, he's had a long connection with Jerry Newhouse. They actually offered him a couple weeks ago. Uh, assuming Jerry Newhouse is retained there, I anticipate that they'll be in it. For him. But no, I absolutely think that Washington is very much in the thick of it for him. And he's already wearing purple and gold in high school right now. <laughs> and uh, I'm, you know, I, I am, am remiss because I didn't look up his profile. What is his height and weight right now? It looks like he's we've got him at uh, six foot 175. But does he play? He seems to play bigger than that when I've watched he, his film. He does. I mean, he's long. He's got some great length to him. He is yeah. thin. He'll be the first one to tell you that he's on the skinny side of things. But he's got such great length. And here's the thing with Chris. Like, this kid's an NFL DB. And he's open to playing on the defensive side of the ball. Schools like him at receiver, but he's one of those rare kids who was a receiver early on and started playing corner and was really good at it, but didn't say, oh, I'm only going to play offense. He's very open to the idea of playing on the defensive side of the ball. And I think this kid can make a lot of money long-term as a corner because of his length, because of his, his twitch, because of his athleticism with his ball skills. Um, but it seems like every school recruiting him of those four that I mentioned, uh, the, the Pac-12 Big Ten schools, they all like him as a receiver. But, uh, you know, a guy that I think he's going to fill out and play and qualify about 185, 190. Noah McHale is a linebacker out of Bonita High School. He's 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 one of those guys who doesn't have he he has a better frame than he has uh, a profile right now. He's six three two oh five, but his frame shows that he could be a two twenty five two thirty pretty easily once he gets to college. He's got offers from a lot of different schools. I know Washington has always been one of his you know, schools that he was had his eye on, um, especially under the old staff. He's got offers from basically a who's who of top 25 programs have offered him. He could go basically anywhere he wants to go. I'm talking Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, uh, Oklahoma, Oregon, obviously, Tennessee, Stanford, which is not a top 25 program. But that that just tells you academically where he's at. Texas, Texas A&M, USC, UCLA. Utah. When Utah offers a linebacker, I take notice. And, oh, absolutely. And, and Washington has been a school that, that has been on him since the beginning with the old staff. And I get the feeling that this, this new staff is going to like him pretty pretty well, although the linebacker coach has yet to be named, although we think it's coming very soon. Yeah, I, I think Washington probably had a better chance with the previous staff, just the familiarity they have with William Inge. Uh, he came up a couple times at the Michigan State game two years ago. I've known Noah's family for years. I went to college with his dad, Kareem, good friend of mine, smart kid, a just a, a assassin on the field, the nicest kid off of it. And, you know, he, he kind of just reminds you of a lot of the current Washington players that were on this team that played in the national championship game where, you know, they're not attention drawers to themselves. They don't care about the branding. They just go out there and they beat your ass on Saturdays. Can I say that on your podcast? Is yes. That yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, good. Um, that said, I do think that they're, you know, Alabama would, it was probably the leader before Saban retired. I, I think that they're still in it. But, you know, USC being a local school, being in Southern California is certainly going to have uh, have an impact there. Texas as well. He's been a longtime Texas target. I think Washington is going to have their work cut out for him there. So the sooner they, they name a coach. Uh, at that position, who will be his primary recruiter, the, the better their chances are of staying in it there. But he is a national recruit. Yeah, definitely. Um, a, a guy who's really kind of emerged recently is a guy by the name of Chinadu Onyegoro. Onyegoro, yeah, right. Okay, mm-hmm. and he's an he's an edge, um, and just a, a guy. What is it, Modesto Christian that he's at? No, Chidi's at King Drew Medical in L.A. So the L.A. City section, stand up, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, but he's a four star edge, six two two twenty, kind of the same profile um, from a height and weight standpoint as Rainy Saleh. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that Washington is a school that he's mentioned quite a bit. Yeah. And, and much like Zay, he's a young junior you know he played most of his junior year at 15 he was a basketball player and king's had a good basketball history in recent years and the football coach said hey why don't you come over and play some basketball uh, i'm sorry play play some football we basketball and play football and it kind of changed the trajectory of his future because he could be a six foot two 220 pound power forward in high school where are you going to play in, in, in college basketball at that size but you can use that athleticism that explosiveness at outside backer edge and you change your entire future. And this is a kid that I don't even think realizes how good at football he can be 40 sacks in the last two years. Now, granted the city section isn't what it once was in the days of the Crenshaw Dorsey Narbonne uh, tap uh, kind of late 2000s, early 2010s, but 40 sacks is still 40 sacks and you want to see guys dominate at that level. So this is a kid that I think with Washington, you know, being in, They've been involved for a long time. Arizona was on him early on, too. I think that, you know, there's a natural affinity for the coaching staff for, obviously, I think, you know, Jason Kafusi had offered him last summer uh, so that, you know, there's he visited this coaching staff when they were at Arizona last spring. So there's familiarity there. So even though the coaches left, you know, Washington He's familiar with the coaches that are now there. And so that that still makes it relatively easy to stay involved with him. Last name I want to give you, and then we'll we'll cut you loose. Um, this has been a little longer than I had hoped, so I apologize about that. But uh, Josiah Sharma, out of Folsom High School, Washington, got a commitment from him under the old staff. He actually remained committed to Washington through the coaching change, but then opened things up. You just posted a story on him, and I'm going to link it in the in the uh, story that I post. But uh, kind of talk about what he said about Washington, and and it sounds like the Huskies have still not given up, not, not given no. up, because there's just got not a lot of guys who are 6'5", 295 on the West Coast. And, you know, here's a, the fascinating thing. I feel like I've said Jason Kapusi's name on a lot of these guys, yep. but he's done a great job of recruiting when he was at Arizona, when he was at UCLA, and now at Washington. And so that connection certainly helps. You know, that said, I think Washington is playing from a position that they'd rather be in than not be in. And that was he did commit there. Yes, he opened it up. And since then, Texas has gotten involved with Johnny Nansen. Alabama has gotten involved with Freddie Roach kind of running point, but Courtney Morgan being there. Oregon has gotten involved with Tosh there. But Washington was the first school that he had visited. And when he visited for the Oregon game in, in October, he had already been there in campus in, J, uh, in June of last year. Then he was there for the game. So all he knew was Washington. 
Washington, but it impressed him. So he had made two visits. So Washington definitely has that working in their advantage that he did like them from the jump and, and committed there. Now, the, the scenery may have changed in terms of the coaches that recruited him somewhat, but the school itself hasn't changed. And he's got a coaching staff that he's familiar with. In fact, I think his second power five offer after Washington came from Arizona. So they were kind of early believers in him as well. And now Kofusi at Washington, you'd rather be in a position where you had a chance than you were never that you never had a chance. So yeah, they have some, some schools that they're going to have to deal with like a Texas, like a Washington, I'm sorry, like an Oregon, like an Alabama that will obviously convolute a lot of recruitments, uh, but they've been in a position where they've already gotten this before. And, you know, with the new staff prioritizing him and he's another guy that I think he's still, I saw him, on Saturday at a seven-on-seven tournament. Came and played some tight end with his team. You know, he was very raw as a sophomore. Saw him at the Avery Strong Showcase last June, right before, or actually I think it might have been like right after he got his Washington offer. And you could see some tools there, but still raw. Went down to go see him in October at Intercom where he was at previously. And, you know, still he had the size, but still raw as a player. He is all upside. This is a kid that I think I am convinced his best football we played in college. And, you know, Granted, it was under previous coaches, but Washington has had success with Folsom High School players, with, you know, Jake Browning. Obviously, they had Austin Mack for a little bit. Uh, Dan Nagata's on the team right now. Uh, there's been uh, Ariel Nagata, if you want to go back yep. even, even yep. further. So, you know, he just left Intercom to transfer to Folsom uh, in the last month or two. Uh, so I anticipate Washington will be a presence there during the spring. But I, I definitely think that that one is not over despite his decommitment. All right, Brandon, thank you so much for all this information. Uh, kind of tell us what's going on for you right now, especially with uh, the Avery Strong Foundation and everything like that. Um, and uh, I, I know that uh, tomorrow is a is a big anniversary for you. It is, yeah. Tomorrow, the 16th, is the eight-year passing or eight-year anniversary of Avery's passing in February of 2016. And we continue to grow strong in our foundation. We have raised over a million dollars in for research. Uh, and treatment all over the world. Uh, there are people that are fighting this fight uh, for her and for other kids. And so our foundation has been able to support that. Um, and, you know, it doesn't get any easier the further away we get, but it just makes us more impassioned. So, you know, the Avery Strong showcases, those will be announced here very soon. That's our college showcase where last year we had, I think, nine of the 10 Washington coaches and the head coach there. Uh, the only camp on the West Coast that have both teams that played in the national championship game have coaches there. Uh, and it's been great to just be able to share her story with another generation of football players and, you know, be able to give these kids an opportunity and an avenue to play the sport that they love, but also to share Avery's story. And it's just been, you know, an absolute treat that we get to continue to talk about her and share her legacy. Well, thanks, Brandon. And, and uh, um, you know, we're all we're all uh, strong with you, um, Avery Strong. And uh, if people want to go to that website uh, just to maybe make a donation or, or look at what's going on, what what's the – What's the uh, URL? AveryStrongDIPG.org. That's the place okay. to go. Go read more about what we're doing. Go check it out on Friday the 16th because that's when uh, we'll be doing the annual blog on, you know, just what we're doing in her honor. All right. Perfect. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Even though you're under the weather, I want you to get some rest, heal up, and uh, you don't get a off weekend until May, I believe, is what you were telling me. So, um, it's, it's going to be a grind, but it's, it's a fun grind. So let's get it done. Coffee's for closers, Scott. All right. Thanks, Ben. Hey, uh, thanks for listening to uh, another episode of Dogman radio. We'll be back with another episode soon. Go dogs. <laughs>
Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.